Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast network, the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. This is EdUp EdTech, dedicated to interviewing leaders at the front end of technology and innovation in education, hosted by the amazing, the outstanding, the incredible Holly Owens. Now let's get to it and hear from your host, Holly Owens. You know better than we do that students like gamified learning. It's motivating, it's fun, and it produces impressive results. This year, as you plan your lessons, PD days, field trips, or complicated science modules, use one of EdTech's favorite tools, GooseChase, to bring learning to life. GooseChase is an online platform for running real-world scavenger hunts that are a breeze to set up and play. Customize games based on your curriculum, or use templates from fellow teachers. Students complete Q&A, photo, and video missions to score points. Take a picture of cumulus clouds. What's a number with only two factors? Or have them leave an anonymous note of encouragement on a random locker and snap a photo. The chase can be as wonderful or as weird as you make it. Visit GooseChase.com to learn how other schools are using GooseChase. Then sign up and start building your first game. This summer, EdUp EdTech is running its very own Goose Chase with a grand prize winner scoring a year's subscription to Goose Chase for their entire school. Download the Goose Chase app and join the game with the code EDUP2021 to get your wheels turning and wings flapping. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of EdUp EdTech. I'm your host, Holly Owens, and I have a fabulous guest with me today, Eric Gibbs, who is the president of Original. He's going to talk to us about all the fabulous things they're doing and get into all the technical stuff and all the things that the wonderful platform that they offer to higher education institutions, secondary ed, corporations. But first, Eric, welcome to the show. Hi, Holly. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the conversation. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to hearing more about you and your journey. So let's get into it. So tell us about yourself. Tell us about you, your journey into this ed tech space and about your company. Um, give us the lowdown. Tell the audience all about you. Yeah. Well, Holly, I can honestly say that as a teenager, I, I probably initially didn't start out with the intention as of leading a plagiarism prevention or academic integrity company. <laughs> Um, my, my interests kind of were more in line with science, math, and, you know, going into med school. I was a first-generation college student, and I really didn't know what to expect kind of when I stepped on the University of Missouri's campus. You know, I ended up putting my way through college by working at Kaplan Test Prep, teaching uh, prep courses nights and weekends. Worked for Kaplan for a couple of years out of college, um, but my first true startup in ed, the ed tech space was after leaving uh, Kaplan, it, it really was a special one for me. And, and kind of, a you know, I think about it as a springboard for my personal, not only my, my personal, but also my professional career. Um, it was a little startup located in the Bay Area called Applia. It was founded by then Stanford University economist and now Nobel laureate Paul Romer. And at the time, Holly, you know, the product wasn't created. The team was just being formed. And it, it was the best experience that I could have asked for looking back, you know, 20 years ago. Right. Back then it might have been stressful, but now you're like, oh, I'm so <laughs> glad that I had yeah. that experience. Yeah. The, but the opportunity enabled me to meet what became my mentor, which was then Apple CEO, Sally Elliott. 
and provided me with a 14-year journey with her. But it also defined kind of my sales style, the high-touch customer support, and really kind of the views on how to manage teams. And, you know, really in my mind, that mentorship is why we are here talking today. That's amazing. And I'm so glad that you had that experience. And it's so great stepping into this realm to have a mentor. I get a lot of people that ask me, they're like, I'm thinking about doing this. You know, what should I do? And I think the first thing I say is find a great mentor. And, you know, I want you to, so how did that mentorship help you, you know, kind of create this vision that you had for your company and, you know, develop the products and everything. Like you talked about the sales portion, but talk a little bit about how it helped guide you um, in that direction. Yeah. Well, I I think you really don't know. I mean, you really don't know what you have until it's gone. (laughs) So, you know, know, I think for me, you take it for granted. Um, So for 14 years from Applia to, to Thompson learning, which became Cengage, and then on and to turn it in, um, it oh was an amazing. Goodness, you have touched so many big places. This yeah, is amazing. yeah. So it was it was a great great experience. But as I said, you really don't know that. You, you know, you could see kind of the molding. Um, as I said, kind of the the consultative sales approach, the the introductions into the market, into the leaders, um, the high touch customer support, kind of client first, manage you know reliance on the management team. And those are the principles that kind of I've adapted. And, you know, I, I think it becomes just a part of you as, as that individual person. Um, but, you know, Holly, I, I didn't really didn't understand that until after my mentor kind of left and, and retired. And my, you know, then I'm on my own and you, you, you kind of look up and wake up the next morning and go, wow, n- now what? You know, it's, it's like, you know, even though you had 14 years, you have the guiding principles, but it literally took me two startups to understand that I had the necessary tools to, to make it my own. Um, but it was more about the confidence to be able to enact those um, that really had been instilled in me into those 14 years. Yeah. You know, you kind of wake up and you're like, oh my goodness, now I'm on my own. <laughs> and I'm so glad though, because I think what you're saying here is the mentorship that provides that confidence. You have to find that confidence within yourself. And a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome and not thinking you're good enough, but I'm so glad to hear that you had that experience. And then you, you kind of reaffirm that respect for having the mentor by being alone at a certain point and then building your confidence to do what you do. Right. And, and one thing I would say, Holly, is, is it's also you know, as, as I reflect back, it's really given me the ability now to also want to be a, a mentor. So, you know, while I've kind of in those properties and kind of the, the skills that were passed along to myself, it's made me actually see that, yes, you know, you want to be able to mentor others. And it's not just in ed tech, it's those lifelong skills that you want to be able to help individuals and especially those that actually raise their hand. I mean, certainly, you know, as a first generation student, I, I didn't raise my hand. I didn't know to actually ask for. Um, so, you know, certainly at the University of Missouri, I participate in their mentorship uh, program. And I think it's one of the greatest things when you have an undergrad that actually is a sophomore or junior and they want to participate. They want that knowledge. And I, I just think back, I, I would have never known to actually, you know, reach out to a specific leader. So, you know, my time is, is best used and it's most, you know, it's most valuable when you can actually give back to those kind of sponges that are going to be future leaders. 
I couldn't agree with you more. And I love that you're giving back in that way. And like, we're all starting out and it's like, you don't know what you don't know. Like you really don't know what, like I never envisioned, I started out my career as a high school teacher. I didn't expect to be sitting here hosting a podcast about ed tech. If you would have asked right. me that in 2007. And I really, I really value that and respect that about you is that giving back and giving people the advice on how you got where you're at, but also, you know, giving them the space to, to make their own paths. And I think that's what we do with learners. Absolutely. Since you've been across all these different companies and touched like Cengage and Kaplan and Turnitin, I want to know from your perspective and your experience, tell the audience, what is your own personal definition of educational technology? How would you personally define it? My, my father uh, was in food service and a few food service distribution. I used to have to d- explain kind of to, to his colleagues and friends kind of what is educational technology? And I tried to make it as simple yeah, as possible. Family simple still as... doesn't understand what I do. I'm an instructor. They still don't understand. But yeah, yeah. So, so so I try to make it as simple as possible. And so you know, I try just to say that educational technology is as simple as digital technologies that assist and optimize learning. You know, that's it right there. And it could be software, it could be hardware, but I try to leave it there. Um, but I think over time, you know, certainly we can go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> on on the complexities, there there is there is an additive component today that I, I I think that is starting to get me to think more about the role that it plays in providing greater access to that learner. Um, so today you don't have to be in a computer lab on campus like I had to be in college, right? You by removing the barrier of that you know getting accepted to the University of Missouri reserving the personal PC in the computer lab. Can you believe that we, you know, had to, had to reserve the PC? I know. <laughs> <laughs> they were in limited supply. I know. Right, I right. Yes, so, yes. so you remove that barrier to entry with that educational technology. So if, I mean, it's just remarkable to think about that today's learners can take a course from a Stanford or Cornell or Michigan State professor and gain that knowledge that they were seeking for free or gain that credential from a MOOC or, you know, for a nominal fee. So the barriers and access is your access that are being kind of broken down with the introduction of these education, uh, educational resources. It's, it's phenomenal. So that's kind of, you know, it, it's a very simple, simple definition, but you know, the, the actual, the actual use case and, kind of the way that they're actually using it, it's a much more additive, additive nature today. Yeah, definitely. And I, I agree. And keeping it simple for people, like when they say, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I help faculty use ed tech to teach online or, you know, I have to keep it really like that simple, but that means so much, you know, like you're saying so much encompasses actually what you're doing every day and what you're providing. You can go definitely a lot deeper deeper in the conversation with that definition. And I'm sure we could have a whole nother episode about defining ed tech because there's so many different ed techs out there. Like I own this podcast, especially I interview people like yourself who are in the traditional ed tech space where it's something that's in the classroom, but I also interview people and meet people who are not in the traditional ed tech space. So we can have another future episode about those different types of situations. 
Um, and I thank you for that simplicity in your definition. That really does, that really does <laughs> encompass everything at tech. And I might borrow that for my classes that I'm teaching. <laughs> so now I want to step into, I want to talk about originals. So tell me what your product or service is. If somebody's like never heard of it before, how does it help institutions and organizations and education? Yeah. So kind of original is a set of online academic integrity tools and services. Um, primarily our partners and clients are utilized by secondary, post-secondary incorporations. And we're really here to assist and ensure originality and authenticity of written work. So those two kind of key words, originality and authenticity, and it all deals with that written work. Um, Holly, the company was launched in September of 2020 when two European tech similarity detection leaders um, Erkin from Sweden and Plagscan from Germany combined, you know, really with over three decades of that knowledge and expertise. Um, the tools and services provide, you know, school district, colleges, and universities with the ability to A, protect and support their academic integrity initiatives. And the software, you know, at, at the, the core integrates seamlessly into the school or university's learning management system. And this is really key because it becomes part of the overall workflow for the end users, which is the student and instructor. So first and foremost, you know, when a student submits the assignment or when an instructor enables the tool, what we want to do is to be core to that overall workflow for the student, as well as the instructor, which then rolls up to the individual institution to protect their academic integrity. That is fantastic. And you said that in such, an, in such a great way and making it seem like so positive, because I know it's at certain points, especially during COVID, you know, going in, and I, this is mostly with testing security, going into like the student's personal space or this academic integrity stuff and, and, you know, recording if their screens and, and things like that, but also checking their work, like people are starting to question, like if this is okay, but it is okay because you are making sure that you're giving credit where credit is due and that the students understand that, you know, what they're doing. Like if yeah. they wrote, if they wrote a paper and they were so proud of it and they had discovered like a new method or, have a new hypothesis about something, they're definitely going to want credit for that. So I think it's important that you came in at like the best time because of the, the pandemic. And I actually have a follow-up question for you. So are you noticing that with plagiarism detection and different types of situations, is it, are people more, since we've gone online and we've gone more virtual, are people are they cheating more? Are they, are they violating those plagiarism type situations more because of we're virtual now and it's kind of harder to, you know, detect those things? You know, more than anyone, just how much of a difference having fun makes in bringing lessons to life, building your class's sense of community, and empowering your students to shine. Goose Chase is the ultimate and fun tool for engaging student experiences. Customize games for your lesson plans and school-wide events, or use tried and tested templates created by fellow teachers, like name a chemical that dissolves chlorophyll, or dress up as your favorite book character using only school supplies. There's fun in store for every kind of learner. Visit goosechase.com to sign up and start building your first game today. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I think some of the researchers in academic integrity, they're conducting that research now. Um, I think if you listen, you know, if you were to open up any academic 
uh, newspaper, um, you know, if you look at the Chronicle or Inside Higher Ed, it seems like on a weekly basis, you're reading about, you know, academic integrity or plagiarism cases are up 400%. For me, I I think we have to kind of wait till this is all flushed out. I mean, prior to COVID, the research actually would say that there's not a high, the, the incidence of cheating or the incidence of, of plagiarism is no higher in an online course than it is face-to-face. Yes. Thank um, you for saying that. <laughs> so that's what the research says, right? right? So I think we have to wait and actually kind of do, wait, wait, wait till this plays out. Um, because I think that there are some anomalies here because, you know, if we look at what happened prior to COVID, individuals self-selected into an online course or they self-selected into a face-to-face course, come April 2020, everybody's pushed or forced into remote and online learning. And so, you know, it uh, things changed, right? Welcome to, to online, whether you liked it or not. Um, and I think that there's other other technologies out there that kind of tempt students that maybe are in an online environment. So, you know, I call them digital sharing economies or academic file sharing sites that um, kind of tempt students to potentially do something that maybe is not in their best interest. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, I I don't want to go into a, a, a conversation until we actually see what the actual research will say or what what uh, what the academic integrity uh, folks, let's say at the International Center for Academic Integrity uh, Research actually would would uh, would actually be reported on. Yeah, definitely. And I agree with you. And it's also kind of like this settling of, of how things are going to work out now that you said we were a lot of faculty or educators were involuntarily volunteered and forcibly, you know, had to go online, whatever you want to call it. They had yeah. that route. And I want to see how it all plays out. You know, the, the media gives a different perspective. There's some positive, there's some negative, but I definitely agree with you. We, we want to see how it's all going to play out, you know, in the next few years and how online is going to, is it going to be a staple in higher education? Is it going to be, you know, like this thing that people like myself are going to have to convince people that's really something they need to do. Um, so yeah, let let, yeah. let's let's not let's not lower the magnifying glass just yet yes. right, right. let's let's yeah. keep it let's keep it even and understand that there were some anomalies in 2020 um that that you know that that are different right. <laughs> um from from normal years so you know now that we could probably talk about this all day i'm gonna i'm there's so many questions going through my head right now i'm just gonna block them out and i'm gonna stick with what we're trying to accomplish here. And I want to know more about what are the top features of your product? What are the top things that people, your consumers have talked about that they just really love about original? You know, over, over the years, or maybe I should say originals primarily uh, been focused on plagiarism prevention efforts over the last two decades. And I, I want to pause here, and I, you may notice that I didn't refer to the product or the or the terminology as plagiarism detection. Yes. So there's no. I such didn't notice thing. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no such thing as plagiarism detection. Um, the technology identifies matches of submitted documents, dissertations, admissions essays, 
artifacts or, or, or documents um, to vast amount of content that we have. So nearly two decades of archived internet websites, uh, scholarly journals and academic publications that we've procured or, or received via open access, and then a global student materials. Um, so this, this niche market has been pretty much unchanged until now. So, you know, new functionality has been corp incorporated into the, the tool to allow for cross-language text matching. So this is what kind of the users and the, and the feedback from our, our, our clients has, has asked for. So, you know, I guess what is cross-language plagiarism, I guess, is the, the, should be the question. Um, cross-language plagiarism kind of refers to the, the kind of plagiarism where the source content is in one language while a plagiarism content's in another. So most, you know, where this comes from is a student or a user or submitter would go out, research a, a journal in, let's say, Swedish or Spanish, convert it into to English, and then submit it as their own. So our cross-language text matching helps identify match content that's been translated from one language to another using our proprietary algorithm. So this is really special to, to original. Other solutions on the market match text across languages first. So what I mean by that is they translate the text to English and then search English sources for matches, um, while the original functionality is unique in that it detects similarities from the original language. So um, actual cross-matching without translating it to English. Um, other functionality, you know, Holly, that's been incorporated into our software that's been requested mostly by faculty as well as academic integrity advisors and institutions for very several years is the ability to assist in this combat con uh, combating con contract cheating or, you know, you can call it ghostwriting. Um, and what we do is we call this original metric. So contract cheating, again, is for definition for, for everyone, is a method of academic dishonesty to, to really which students engage in, uh, engage a third party. So this could be a, a third party website, uh, another individual student to write and produce an essay or an assignment on behalf and then submit based upon uh, that individual, uh, that individual user. Um, so the term contract cheating, it, it's it's not something that's new. So this was actually established um, in 2007 uh, by by uh, Dr. Thomas Lancaster and his colleague Clark from Imperial College in London. So it's been, you know, Dr. Lancaster has been at the front forefront of of researching contract cheating and academic integrity for several years. Um, so, you know, your question of kind of what other users, what are our users saying, you know, we, we have roughly over 6,000 clients in over, you know, 110 countries and our primary drivers for utilizing the tools, it's, it's very simple. I mean, going back to ed tech, what, what are the drivers? It's utilized for high reliability, optimized and trusted due to our personal data protection. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, it, it's cost effective. That's awesome. And the fact that I didn't even, I'm just listening to everything you're saying, and I didn't even think of a global view of this until you're talking about it. Like we have students, international students, we have students taking online courses and different, sitting in different spots. We really have to be aware of that. And I didn't even think about that until, you know, you, until you started talking about this, it's not plagiarism detection. What'd you call it? It's 
Yeah, it's plagi- I mean, it's a plagiarism prevention tool. So if you want to, yeah, if you, yeah, if, if you want to talk about detection, it is text similarity detection. So we do match against that vast amount of content, but we can't actually identify if it's plagiarism. So what is plagiarism? It's when you're actually utilizing content without proper attribution or citing it, right? So when you're using somebody else's content. Um, we can't actually identify that. There's no tool on the market that actually can do that. You have to have a human element or a human evaluator that actually can make that inference. And without that, you're not going, <laughs> you're not going to be able to 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 properly uh, address or evaluate that the, the the report or whatever the um, the the artifact is that's being returned back to you. Right. Right. Wow. Wow, this is such cool stuff. I'm sure we could we could dive a lot a lot deeper into some of this plagiarism detection and you know how. So I I do have a question because I've been really interested in, in AI stuff, and I want to know um, as a platform that is is preventing plagiarism, is AI like on your radar or you know what types of different systems are running in the background to you know for original when you're, when the institutions sign up and they, they use this product? Yeah. I mean, the majority of it is machine learning so that you're looking at it for, um, you know, on the the plagiarism prevention piece or that tech similarity detection. Um, You know, I think that once you're talking about those original metrics that I was talking about, about con, you know, combating contract cheating and uh, that ghost writing, that's when you can really get into kind of where where we could be going is with AI. So, you know, I don't want to get too technical because that's where I get myself in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but and then our, we use the audience and we're like, yeah, yeah but you know, <laughs> yeah. So so you know, without getting too technical, our original metrics tool uses the stylometry analysis that's you know predefined quali- uh, quantitative parameters to, d- to analyze the different writing styles and patterns. And those patterns can be used to uh, you know, assist in verifying the, the authorship of a document and therefore potentially deter or prevent kind of that contract cheating or ghostwriting. But again, it goes back to the exact same conversation we're having about plagiarism detection. We're not saying that we're actually detecting detecting contract cheating, we're preventing it, right? It has to come down to the individual evaluator. So it's, it's a, it's the, the best thing that I have to, I, I say, when we partner with an institution, we deter plagiarism, we deter combat cheating, but it always goes back to good course design, coaching from the instructor, and then full disclosure and empathy from the student. It can't be a punitive measure. Um, students don't, a small amount of students, a, a small amount of students actually will, will plagiarize and do this with 100% um, intention. But for the vast majority of students, they don't do this on, on purpose. So we have to empathize. And, you know, first, first, in ta- first, uh, first intention, I think it's a teachable moment. And so, you know, I think it's a modern, we need to, remo- we need to modernize the academic integrity um, policies and initiatives at all institutions. We need to incorporate and put the student first and foremost in the, in the model and allow them to help us with this. If we make them a part of the voice, I don't see how we can fail at this. Oh my gosh. I was just, I love that you said that and the empathy and everything. Yes, it, it's their is their learning journey. And I remember actually a situation 
when I was an undergrad and we didn't talk a lot about plagiarism when I was in high school. Like it, it was probably mentioned in a, in a 11th or 12th grade English class, but it's not something that we went into depth about. And I actually wrote a paper and I didn't cite the sources properly. And I got accused of plagiarism by the faculty member. Now there's students like 200 students in this class. It's, a, it's an introductory bio course, but like, I didn't know, you yeah. know, and then <laughs> the, the instructors threatening to send me to like the academic integrity committee for like a review (laughs) if I'm going to get picked out of the institution. So I'm like, I didn't know, you know, that I'm sure that situation happens more often than not. Yeah. We we don't even get to play baseball. There's no three strikes, right? It's one strike and out. And, you know, I think that those days, you know, we need to, again, we need to modernize the approach. And I think that there could be primer courses that, and again, I talk about, you know, there's some really good resources that maybe we can talk about at the end um, from the International Center for Academic Integrity that really kind of, again, modernizes these academic integrity initiatives and processes and policies that can help institutions kind of bring that student voice back. Um, And again, it's not changing, it's just modernizing the approach. Yes, exactly. And I just so love the fact that when students get to be a part of their journey and what's, what's being said and what's being done essentially to them, they get to have a say in that. And they also get to help with it and helps you also understand like, oh, I I understand. I, I didn't cite this right or where I went, where I went wrong. So now I understand and I won't make that mistake again. So that's very important to me, you know, as an ed tech instructional designer and a faculty member that we make them a part of that. And I love that you're doing that. And, and one more comment, Holly, the tool allows for that. So there is formative use cases. The days of the plagiarism police and using it as a summative tool to submit once, allow the instructor to see it and not incorporate the, the student, those days are gone. So allow the, the, the instructor to have multiple iterations, allow the student to be able to submit multiple times, hopefully change the, the behavior patterns from instead of submitting it at 11.45 for an 11.59 p.m. due date, <laughs> allow them to back in that, set the behavior to where we can submit it, receive a similarity report, see the citations, go back in, change it, or maybe see that you copied and pasted directly from Wikipedia or from a, a scholarly journal, go back in and change it. You know, you've set the behavior, you've set, established that trust with the instructor, and there's that full disclosure. So the tool is used in a formative use case today. That's great. And, and you know, continuing, continuing on like for original What's next for you? You know, don't violate any non-disclosure agreements. I don't like my guests to do that or get in trouble, but what's next, you know, as far as the product roadmap for you guys? Yeah. You know, I think, as I said, we're kind of in this niche market, right? So we want to remain laser focused on the academic integrity space. I think it's keep optimizing the tool, increasing the sources, you know, adding additional languages for that cross language text matching you know, there's potential to explore corporate markets that legal and regulatory, pharmaceutical, um, you know, publishing. If you think about in legal and regulatory, you can change the model from an academic approach to where you do, you certainly maybe don't want to see a lot of <laughs> a lot of matches in the in the paper right. or in the, the report. For legal and regulatory, if you turn the model upside down, for precedence cases for specific lawyers, um, law firms, you do actually want to see where there's precedence. So then you can actually utilize that for future future precedence. So 
you know, I think we want to stay in that track. I think we will always remain in that academic integrity space, but it's really, again, if you go back to what the value prop is, it's an optimized award-winning tool. So we have to be able to, to keep with our clients and, and keep ahead of the competition. Yes, absolutely. And just keep changing and modernizing with what's happening currently in our education space. So two final questions for you um, to wrap up the episode. I want to know first, what did we miss? And then is there anything else you'd like to share? And also being that you are this, I see you as this ed tech guru now, and you've had all these interactions with these huge companies and you have a great company yourself. Please tell us what does the future of ed tech look like? So what do we miss and anything else you'd like to share? And then what's the future of ed tech look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, as I said, on, on the sharing, you know, if, if individuals are, are looking to modernize their academic integrity initiatives, I always like to make reference to the International Center for Academic Integrity, um, you know, their resources. Today, it seems like there's a lot of individuals that like to talk the talk about academic integrity. And I'm not so sure that, you know, sheep and wolves clothing, right? <laughs> you you want to yeah. make sure that you're utilizing reputable resources. So um, I would highly recommend that your listeners utilize some of those, their, their six fundamental values. I'm and definitely six, putting this in the show notes because until you said it, I have never heard of it. Yeah. It's such, they're such great, great resources. So, you know, their, their six fundamental values are honesty, trust, fairness, respect, responsibility, responsibility, and courage. And then the reason why I say this is because, you know, if I have a, I have a junior in high school going into high school, junior in high school, I, th I think that remember that, you know, our students sitting in high schools, colleges, and graduate schools will someday be members of the global workforce. So, you know, I'm hopeful that those six fundamental values can be put into practice early in their education. And hopefully we can ensure that we're better off as a global economy. So for, all of, you know, for individuals here in the U.S. and North America, it's the International Center for Academic Integrity. It's just academicintegrity.org. And for all of your European listeners, it's just the European Network for Academic Integrity. It's academicintegrity.eu. Likewise, Holly, uh, we have some great resources on our, our blog, and that's original.com forward slash blog. And original is spelled again, O-U-R-I-G-I-N-A-L. And we love that play on words. That's amazing. I love that you guys did that. So those are some great resources. I'm going to put those in the show notes for the audience so that you all can check them out. Um, now tell us, what is the future of EdTech going to be like? Well, if anything looks like last year, I guess we should all hold on. <laughs> all hold <laughs> on, right? In, huh? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I... I, I thought back in 2015 when I joined Acrobatic, which was an adaptive learning platform, that adaptive learning was kind of the new frontier for personalized learning. Um, and, you know, it took adaptive learning a long time to kind of make the curve. And it really didn't, I still don't think that it's made the, made the jump just yet from the status quo. Um, and, you know, the, the frustrating thing about that was that we could prove that the learning gains were realized with the incorporation of some of those, that adaptive learning and, and some of the content. Um, so I don't think I can make a re revolutionary prediction, but 
I think I'll refer to my initial definition of what, kind of what was the educational technology from early in our conversation. I, you know, I, I think we'll see incorporation of more technology than we have seen and we're comfortable so to kind of to optimize learning. But I'm really hopeful that more gamification is rapidly incorporated kind of into the elementary schools, kind of to allow those kind of little sponges to absorb the knowledge and get hooked on learning. You know, I think that's one of the, the downfalls from, from the global pandemic. It, it, it's, it, it was tough for, for elementary schools, you know, schoolers to be in front of the uh, in front of a ca camera and on the laptop, but, you know, technologies identified to flatten and access, you know, the, the barriers to entry in higher education. And I think the one thing that is near and dear to my heart kind of always been a way to incorporate more digital tools to enable students to persist and gain their, that credential certificate or degree. So, you know, whatever that is, we're going to see efficiencies, you know, if it's bite size, great. If it's that revolutionary uh, uh, advantage that we see, great. But overall, I think that you know the next five years, it's it's going to be a wild ride, and so buckle up. It's it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to the next five to ten years, and what you're saying about adaptive learning kind of being on the cusp of things right now. It's not it's not in there yet. And AR AI and VR and AR, like those, when they disrupt, I'm just ready for that. I'm ready to yeah. see what it does Absolutely. You know, for education. Well, Eric, I can't thank you enough for coming on the episode and talking about original and all the wonderful things that you shared with the audience. It's been a true pleasure having you on the show. And I know there's a lot of resources that the, and information that the audience is going to get from this episode. And I hope they go check out original. That's O-U-R-I-G-I-N-A-L.com. So thank you so much for your time. Holly, thank you. And again, thank you for your listeners. Really appreciate the time they've given us. One more thing to tell you before I let you go. Have you joined Just Goosing Around yet? Our Goose Chase Summer Adventure? You haven't? Well, you need to go right now to your phone, go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download the Goose Chase app. Search for the game code EDUP2021 and then join the missions. Listen to the podcast and win fabulous prizes. One grand prize winner will win a free year of use chase for the entire school. That's amazing. You need to go and join this game and also learn how you can use this fabulous ed tech goose chase in your very own classroom. You've been listening to another episode of EdUp EdTech with your host, Holly Owens. You can follow Holly on LinkedIn. You can also visit her website at jollyholly.me to find out more about what she's up to. Please head to Apple or wherever you download your podcast content and leave us a rating, review, and please subscribe to be notified of future episodes. This has been another incredible episode of EdUp EdTech with your host, Holly Owens.